with covid we are seeing actually a lot of people who were well healed uh, much better to do you know much better off and uh, still sitting on the fences actually come into the buying fold so we are definitely seeing penetration of food delivery and usage of food apps etc going up significantly across all segments there are safety concerns but you know i think these changes are material Welcome to Prime Venture Partners podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to build and grow their startups. Learn about uncommon strategies and common traps from makers and doers of startup ecosystem. Welcome to the Prime Venture Partners podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have with me a dear friend and the CEO of Zomato Delivery and co-founder of Zomato, Mohit Gupta. Welcome to the show, Mohit. Thanks, Amit. Glad to be here. Mohit, it would be great if you can tell people a little bit about your background. Of course, you and I met at Make My Trip, but maybe just your whole sort of career journey that would be helpful. Sure, Amit. So I started my career. Uh, I spent a year at Volters, but more importantly, post my MBA, I started my career with Pepsi. Spent ten years there, doing a bunch of different sales, marketing, general management roles. Then spent ten years at Make My Trip, where we more than just met. And uh, I spent ten years at Make My Trip. Uh, saw its journey through various phases, uh, of course, the IPO and and well beyond that uh, to the mega merger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fun journey. I joined Zomato about two years ago, and uh, you know I'm now running uh, food delivery for Zomato. Wonderful, Mohit. I know you as one of the few people that has sort of reinvented him so many times during this kind of journey. And so maybe towards the end, we'll talk a little bit about how you know what your reinvention mantra is and how you've been so successful at all the stages, right? Pepsi, Make My Trip, and now Zomato. So, but without further ado, let's talk about you know how COVID has impacted you know the food and the retail sector in general, right? Uh, love to hear your thoughts in terms of. consumer behavior in terms of the market in terms of the business you know what has changed what hasn't so we are four months into the covid situation so much has been said on the subject but here's my little take so i think uh, adoption of a whole bunch of online services uh, has increased significantly because of covid a lot of people who were fence sitters have been tipped over and uh, in food services also for example a lot of restaurants who are not participating in food delivery you know have taken it a lot more seriously a lot more gourmet restaurants high end restaurants have started delivering and participating in delivery meaningfully it's becoming a more important part of their business of course in customer segments also we've seen very similar things play out earlier for example having already crossed uh, life till date 100 million install mark uh, we were beginning to see actually lower end phones etc coming in uh, as a much larger part of our user base but with covid we are seeing actually a lot of people who were well healed uh, much better to do uh, you know much better off and uh, still sitting on the fences actually come into the buying fold so we are definitely seeing penetration of food delivery and usage of food apps etc going up significantly across all segments there are safety concerns uh, but uh, you know i think these changes are material workplaces have changed of course and with that food at workplaces cafeterias uh, have also changed significantly health and hygiene and it's relevant to us as, as individuals as users has changed significantly and i think some of it is here to stay uh you know we are going to look at health hygiene safety practices quite differently and uh, that has an impact on both user preferences brand proposition as well as the supply chains that we build and i think finally for me what is most germane is is that uh, human relationships and what defines them has changed significantly in my view uh you know me vis-a-vis my family with vis-a-vis myself my company 
how I interact with brands, my community, my country, all of those things I think uh, have changed uh, significantly. And some of that is also here to stay. And I think it's going to have a meaningful impact on how brand building, culture, career drivers, etc., uh, you know, play out for us in future. Great, Mohit. So if I look at, I was just reading some reports about food delivery in the US and in particular, some of the, this concept of drive-through restaurants, right? Like McDonald's and so forth. Those kinds of concepts don't exist now, right? And even if I go on, on the Zomato app or the Zomato site, you know, you give me the health and safety ratings, you give me, you know, even when I get the food delivery, you now it says, okay, this was contactless, etc. Do you think things like that will start to happen in India now and that fundamentally people will go lesser to restaurants and get sort of more delivery either at home or perhaps like this US kind of notion of a drive-through and pick-up? Uh, so I think that kind of polarization is definitely likely to happen, although I do have a view on uh, the drive-through and takeaway business in India. And I think some of that, you know, let's talk about the takeaway piece first. Uh, I think Indian uh, cities are not configured well for takeaways. Uh, takeaways require a certain kind of kitchen configuration, drive-through configuration, parking. You know, the location of the restaurant has to be in high street and, you know, and there has to be a large enough driveway. And that doesn't happen even for larger, more organized players like McDonald's, etc. So we've done a few pilots with uh, players like McDonald's and thought through this in terms of activation and pilots. But it's not uh, an infrastructure that lends itself very well uh, to takeaway. Uh, delivery and, and dining out uh, actually is definitely going to change significantly in my view. I don't think dining out is going away anytime soon. Of course, the COVID situation until such time as this uh, concern persists, uh, dining out is going to be deeply depressed and it will take time coming back. But I think the need for uh, people to hang out together, to be social, to celebrate together is a deep, long-term human need. And I think, therefore, dining out has a, uh, continues to have a bright future. I think what it's doing for delivery, though, is that it's definitely opening up users to the benefits, the core benefits of delivery, and opening up many more use cases you know, between food players and uh, users. Great, Mohit. So have you seen the, I'm sure the orders are down quite a bit. Have you seen difference in what people are ordering? For example, are people inherently ordering more things that they feel might be touchless, like a pizza, right? So you feel mentally that, hey, we'll just put it in an oven, they'll pull it out, as opposed to, you know, something that might require, you know, like maybe mixing with the hand or something, right? Irrespective of whatever you say on Zomato or, or, sure. or, or the other guys. So, Amit, we have seen a couple of trends in that direction, uh, some intuitive, some counterintuitive. Uh, so we are not necessarily uh, seeing touchless things, so to say, uh, gain share. The uncooked stuff, right, uh, raw salad, sushi, stuff like that is definitely down. Uh, people are going for well-cooked uh, stuff. Uh, but outside of that, uh, I think people are ordering everything that they like. We have seen a shift actually towards more uh, indulgent food types. So people seem to be getting a lot of home food. So when they order from outside... They are definitely ordering more outside food, so to say. Not ghar ka khana. I mean, not ghar ka khana, not healthy food. So I think healthy food, which was emerging to be a fairly large category, uh, you know, that category is definitely not having its best time right now. Wonderful. So switching gears, Mohit, uh, I remember meeting Dipinder of then Foodie Bay 10 years ago when we were both at Make My Trip and, you know, started out being a review site and a very successful one at that and then went on to now, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, at least some of the reports I've read and, and interviews of Dipinder, like a full stack food provider. And of course, you've single-handedly driven and accelerated the food delivery business. So very few companies, right, globally, if I think about it, not just in food, but in other businesses, have made this transition from 
you know, more a reviews and an informational and a content type of site, right? Uh, our, from our previous life, TripAdvisor is one that comes to mind to a transaction site. So what has made that happen at Zomato? Love to have our listeners hear a little bit about that story. Sure, Amit. So I think you've called it out well. I think it is very difficult to straddle both these worlds, to build both these capabilities under one brand, one roof. And uh, to that extent, we are thankful. My own take on uh, some of the things that have contributed strongly to this uh, would be, I think first one is uh, the unique blend of uh, business acumen and product design expertise, user understanding. I think that's a very, very important thing. And that's common to both. Uh, I don't think that uh, you can build any successful business without that. And I think that continues to be strong core uh, competence, so to say, you know, for us. The second one, I think, is a, is a more behavioral thing, which is being, you know, very open and brutally honest with ourselves I, on what muscle you have, what you don't have. You know, I don't think unless you acknowledge that early enough in your journey and you are sort of almost a little paranoid about that. Uh, you're really going to uh, build out new muscles very well. And I think this is something that Zomato and Dipinder do very, very well. Uh, the third one is um, almost uh, pathological flexibility in terms of, uh, you know, just trying out everything that you can or you have to and not letting your own sort of uh, well-held uh, perceptions come in the way of uh, what you try out to seek the outcome. So brutally go after outcomes and just be absolutely flexible in whatever it takes to really get there. And I think uh, the fourth one, which has helped us actually come in from behind and, and become a market leader in the food delivery business is uh, our ambition and big vision, uh, I would say. I think it, it does two things for us. It drives us and it also allows us to think like a leader even when we are behind, right? And I think that thinking like a leader, even when you're coming from behind is so important because otherwise you're just catching up all the time. So I think those would be some of the things that uh, come to mind. You said a lot of interesting things in there, Mohit, and I want to unpack those, right? So pathological flexibility, thinking like a leader when you're behind, identifying the muscle that you don't have and acknowledging it and perhaps going and building it. So maybe let's elaborate on all three in, in no particular order. How do you identify, right? Let's say, you know, this is, I don't know, whenever Zomato delivery was launched three, four years ago, or that, hey, we don't have this capability. We are a great tech product company. We're a great you know, content company, et cetera. And you decide that, oh, delivery is important. How do you go about that, both that assessment and how do you go about building it, right? Because inherently, you know, you're, you're identifying, right? That you don't have it. Like, I'm, I'm just curious if you can elaborate some light. Sure. Uh, sure. So I'll give you my perspective, you know, and of course, since I've spent only two years here, uh, some of it is also interpretations of, uh, you know, the various things I've seen and heard. I think the first one is about strong intuition and uh, being open to your own faults, having a very, very strong self-critical point of view always. You have to be super competent, of course, if you're going to build something big and you're going to sort of create something new, solve, solve difficult problems. But at the same time, I think being self-critical and, and deep introspection allows you to really look around the bend and find the muscles that you don't have. I think when it comes to building these muscles, uh, you've got to try uh, a lot of things. And, and Zomato has tried a lot of things, right? Uh, you know, uh, some of it goes to some of our outside perception as, you know, as the kind of employers we've been along the way uh, at some point in time and so on and so forth, right? People coming and leaving and so on and so forth. So I don't, I don't think that there was one magical formula to really build it out. Uh, but I think uh, we were good at identifying capabilities that were out there, having a lot of respect for these competencies that people had built. One of the biggest contributors to our success in food delivery has been our acquisition of Runner and the Runner team, 
uh, that came with that acquisition, right? And just integrating them very deeply, which also comes from having respect for their competency and their capabilities. Wonderful, Mohit. Uh, the two other things you said, I've never heard this term before, pathological flexibility. What does that mean? Can you kind of elaborate? I think it's almost uh, like saying that, you know, on the things that affect you even most deep, deeply, right? The things that are most sacred for you, you are going to be flexible even about those things. So it's almost like, you know, uh, data, logic, right? And your outcomes are pretty much the only thing that matter for you and that everything else is up for change. Wonderful. And last but not the least, thinking like a leader, even when you're behind. So I think, uh, you know, that really comes down to also some of my life experiences and, uh, you know, fundamental configuration, you know, of how DP thinks as well. And, you know, what we found was that there were portions where, you know, it's very easy for you to say, look, somebody else has really solved this problem. All we need to do it is do is to replicate that. And it, it does get you the next 10% market share in the next 20% or 50% month-on-month growth when you're really early stages or mid-stages. And it's very easy to get carried with that and just keep doing those things and keep replicating what an early mover or a leader is doing. But I think it's important to understand that that's not going to be the thing that gets you ahead because you're just copying, right? You've got to have your own unique take. You've got to think about how you're going to be as you think like a leader when you are the player driving that industry, solving the problems of that industry from the front. And when you do that, you open new pathways that create unique advantage for you that goes beyond just you know money and execution. Very, very interesting, Mohit. Lots of lessons there, I think, for our entrepreneurs here. Uh, so switching gears and just pushing this analogy of like you know going from reviews to delivery, this whole notion of a super app, right? So if you look at you know Meituan Dianping in China or even in India, a lot of people have tried different things, right? Our buddies at ATM tried selling flights and you know make my trips getting to delivery and you know, Swiggy wants to do what Dunzo wants to do and, you know, and so forth, right? So what do you think is the appetite of the Indian consumer really to live in a mega super app? It does everything. It does flights, delivery, food, flowers, the works, right? Because China seemed to have been successful at sort of doing these super app type things, right? Whereas in India, usually, at least my bias has been that, you know, maybe you'll succeed on a couple of use cases, but to really be this, you know, I'll book my cabs also here, flight also here, food also here, uh, seems like a little bit of a tall order for me personally, but love to hear your take on, on the emergence of super apps in India. Yeah, uh, so Amit, on that one, uh, I'm with you actually. And it's not that I don't have an open mind about uh, apps doing multiple use cases. I do think that apps can do multiple things for users effectively, but it's very, very hard. So, you know, if you have to be the number one, number two service in each of the categories that you're participating in, I think that's what it takes for an app to be the go-to app uh, for a user for multiple categories. And a single category itself is hard. Building multiple categories is hard at so many levels, you know, from UX to, uh, you know, domain expertise to supply chains and everything else around it, right? So that's one of the reasons why I think it's difficult. The other one, I think it is also a factor of how the ecosystem evolves. If the most competent answer to a problem emerges as a separate app, then, uh, you know, it's likely that it's going to emerge a single or or a few use case kind of apps, right? A few use cases sort of that hang together for users and that the company offering it or the app offering it is really, really competent in. But if such individual competent answers don't emerge and they tend to emerge from the same house of or, or a single mother app, uh, then it's likely that it will emerge as a super app, which I don't think seems to be how India is playing out. Very interesting, Mohit. So switching gears, Mohit, you know, you've run a lot of digital businesses and, and some quote unquote digital ones, if I can say that. 
but you know zomato delivery or zomato orders is as intensely operational as they come right so can you talk to us a little bit about both your learnings as well as you know some of the lessons for building an intensely operational business successfully whether it's business technology whatever right even even your own personal adaptation to this challenge that you've taken on sure uh, so i think i went through a full cycle uh, on this through my own experiences of course you start off by saying that uh, you know domain expertise is most important uh, you have people uh, out there who already done something like this exactly like this or similar to this uh, let's just acquire that domain expertise and that experience and build it out with that but i think that's oversimplification and i have not seen that to be very successful i think uh, fundamentally uh you know what these young businesses are doing is really helping a better version of the physical reality that exists right now and therefore to my mind a uh, strong first principle thinking and process orientation tends to be the most important thing so it's not necessarily domain expertise it's good to seed some amount of domain expertise into the team uh, so that you're not uh, reinventing the wheel and wasting energy and resources on that but by and large most of the critical portions of the team its leadership especially uh, needs to be Nisha strong first principle thinking process orientation and needs to be good with people good with teams with large people so that's what i've seen to be working how about the role of technology mohit so one is process right which is just you know six sigma process you know operations yeah. research those kinds of things which we probably such studied or did not study in our earlier days but mm-hmm. does how important a role does technology play in, in this yeah so i i'm glad you pointed that out amit because i i think it's very very critical that the team has a strong desire to use technology better it's not necessarily an anti people view it's just the desire to create a more efficient system uh, what i've seen is that if you are on either extremes if you are either on the on one hand saying look this is the only way that this can be solved i'm going to throw thousands of people at this problem this is how the offline world does it and that's how i'm going to solve it it doesn't move you forward doesn't create a better answer uh, similarly if you just take a pure product and tech view and say everything the machines are going to do and they're going to do that in v1 or v2 itself uh that's also likely to fail because it takes time to really build efficient tech systems that are able to aid uh, in the process of creating a better answer so i think it's a part where you have a strong desire uh, to create a better answer and you're keen to use technology to get there that sort of is the best balance so i'm i'm going to uh, throw a little googly on you at you right uh, because i know you also do a little bit of angel investments uh, and so forth and you know certainly when i think about prime ventures we tend to shy away from operationally intensive businesses because we don't understand them we don't understand how to evaluate them perhaps and sometimes we don't know what competency to look for in the entrepreneur so let's say i'm an entrepreneur pitching you an operationally intensive business right what are the two three things that you would look for uh, you know before you decide to let's even say just angel invest for now so i think first off i would say that uh, you know the core principles of you know judging an entrepreneur whether for a digital or a physical business for me will remain the same it has to be that deep desire to create a better answer a belief that it exists out there i would look for whether uh, the entrepreneur has actually invested a lot of time and energy in understanding the space really well and has the early green shoots of uh, a better answer to that uh, area or not uh, i would also look for fundamentally in a, in a physical business i would look for better appreciation of uh, large teams and how to work with large teams of people uh, because even if an entrepreneur is not going to be personally leading a team of you know hundreds or thousands or even 50 100 people it takes a, a certain amount of empathy and understanding of how that works to be able to build that company and that ecosystem and that those are some of the things that i would look for fascinating 
and any any kind of other attributes like you said the domain expertise is also important right when you're two kind of guys gals you know starting out like with a dog in a garage kind of thing and you have no domain expertise right in fact when i think about uh, perhaps you know mohit of the, the acquisition that you guys did right a runner perhaps he had no delivery experience i remember meeting him when, when very early on in his journey like how do you figure out that they'll figure it out is that just what you said earlier first principles thinking passion for the problem being open minded or is there some you know like we have this notion of founder market fit thing you know this person is inherently like one attribute you pointed out which is people yeah. right is there anything else yeah that's a very uh, interesting concept founder market fit i would say the second point that i mentioned amit which is the i expect a founder uh, to have invested enough time to at least eke out some meaningful insights or solutions about that domain that even domain experts are not seeing on the surface right now right uh, that's super important i mean it doesn't have to be a complete solution it can have holes in it but there have to be these early powerful insights that they've invested themselves into under you know uh, mining out which uh, tell you that th- that this person has the ability to do it awesome one last question before we get to kind of wrap up here and and talk a little bit about your uh, you know past experiences as well you know functionally you've done various things right you've run a business you're now the ceo you've been the head of marketing i don't fully remember what all you did at pepsi but i'm sure it's a mix of all of those things right so how have you kind of made these transitions and and where does marketing sit for mohit today because i know you're very passionate about that right does that play a role or you you have somebody that does it and you sort of more being a mentor and perhaps a coach i'm definitely a mentor and a coach uh, i'm definitely not a mainstream marketer now i think uh, you asked two questions and i'll answer both of them uh, so uh, i think for me the reason why i think i've done moderately well at uh, making these transitions is because i'm fundamentally a very curious person and uh, what has fascinated me from the beginning is end goals and outcomes and i realized early enough in my career that usually end goals and outcomes are as result of a combination of many things almost never a single thing so you can actually be a great marketer and solve one part of the problem but if you are going to deliver great outcomes uh, change the destiny of a business uh, solve meaningful problems for users it usually takes more than just one functional area uh, to do it or one stream to do it right uh, and that sort of that combined with the curiosity to uh, learn more and to understand better uh, i think has been a significant part of uh, what allowed me to to transition from one to the other and understand multiple areas better the second question was you know in terms of marketing uh, where do i stand i think i realized at some at some point in my career that i wasn't going to be a better marketer than a certain level and i think make my trip deserved a better marketer and i remember having this conversation uh, with deep and rajesh uh where while they wanted me to recruit a marketer under me i insisted that we recruit a, a cmo separately and one who could sort of take the company forward much ahead of where i could take the company and i and to my mind that was and with sojanya coming into the company that uh, decision turned out to be a wonderful one for the company and for me and it was great learning for me as well that uh, you know it's good to be able to see your own glass ceilings on these things and then step back and try to play uh, a more holistic Uh, anchoring role rather than a domain role in an area i would be very remiss in not talking about your curiosity i'll just mention a very s- small incident i remember you constantly asking me how to become a coder and to write code and back you know like 7 8 9 years ago and i was like dude like really that's what you want to do and it's like no no on the weekend i'm going to sit and code so can you tell me where do i get started so anyway you know as we wrap up here mohit like i said at the beginning of the podcast you had multiple kind of reincarnations right in in your career 
And there are a lot of folks, like even, even I had come from Google into Make My Trip and so forth, who basically weren't entrepreneurs in the classic sense, right? Perhaps were entrepreneurs, perhaps were aspirationally, you know, joining younger companies, etc. So can you take our readers and, and listeners through this journey? So if you're somebody sitting in a large company doing well and you have this dream of either starting up or joining a startup, how should they think about it? How did you think about it? How have you made these transitions? That would be very useful. So, you know, my drivers initially were the usual ones, but I think what I'd like to share with everyone is, is possibly wisdom in hindsight. So I think what matters the most is your own motivations, right? Deep introspection into your own motives is very, very important. And you need to be brutally honest with yourself. You need to ask yourself, why do you want to start up, you know, start up on your own or join a startup, right? Really ask yourself that, you know, test it with how bad do you really want it? What are you really willing to give up for it? Compensation, risk that come with it, perks, status, all of those things, right, that you're putting at risk. I have seen far too many people actually, you know, want to join startups just because it's a cool thing to do. It's the next thing to do. Uh, you know, you hear stories about a few exits and so on and so forth. And at the very least, it can add, it can be a nice plug into your CV. And I don't think that those kind of motivations really set you up well for success. So I think people who get to that, the right point, I think joining an early stage, mid-stage startup and then living through the journey because these journeys tend to be long, you know, five, seven, 10 years is almost like starting up. So if you do it, you're going to make many pivots personally as an individual, as a professional, if you're going to succeed uh, mid to long term in this area. So motivations are really, really important. And one last question, Mohit, let me flip the role. Let's say you are hiring somebody from a larger company or you were a young early stage entrepreneur hiring somebody senior like you or me into their company. What would you look for? Is it just the inverse of what you said? Or are there some traits that you would look for to make sure that this person who's coming will survive and in fact thrive? I think three things and uh, very different weightages now, you know, compared to what they were in sort of uh, five years ago for even me. I think domain expertise, maybe 10, 15 percent, because that matters, you know, especially when you're hiring senior people, that means you're in growth stage and that matters to the business. Competence, about 40 percent, I would say. And when I say competence, I mean it differently from domain expertise and experience, right? It's just core fundamental competence that an individual has. And I think the largest component, which is about 50%, is culture fit and chemistry. Because at senior levels, you know, almost always hiring a person into a family, you're hiring a co-founder into the business. So I think there's nothing that is more important than culture fit into company and chemistry with the other top uh, leaders in the company who, who they are going to work with. Wonderful, Mohit. Lots and lots of interesting insights for our listeners to take away. So thanks again, Mohit, for taking the time to be on the Prime Venture Partners podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you for having me, Amit. Thank you so much. Dear listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast app for free and you'll be the first one to know when new episodes are available. Just search for Prime Venture Partners Podcast in Apple Podcast, Spotify, CastBox or however you get your podcasts. Then hit subscribe. And if you have enjoyed the show, we would be really grateful if you leave us a review on Apple Podcast. To read the full transcript, find the link in the show notes.